by DVD does Dune. Part 2 This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to Harry Scott Sullivan, your host. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. This episode brings us back to Arrakis. Back to the desert. Back to Dune. Finally, the long-awaited continuation of The Spice Must Flow. Death by DVD does Dune. On the last episode of Death by DVD, we rebroadcast part one, so you, the fine people of Radio Land, could catch up and get with the program. But this episode is a special one. It was the final Death by DVD episode recorded with our former co-host, Hank, the world's greatest, who tragically died on New Year Eve. You can hear all about his death, a terrible murder with a haunting investigation at www.deathbydvd.com. With that said, we are going to begin this episode immediately where part one left off. So... If you have not heard part one, I highly suggest stopping here and listening to The Spice Must Flow, Death by DVD Does Dune, part one, or an episode titled Gone Fishing. And now, without further ado, the spice must flow. Death by DVD does doom. Part 2. I'm kind of hoping and just thinking out loud here that maybe what we got with Dune 2021, we were exposed to Arrakis. We got a very bland color palette. There wasn't an exasperating amount of beauty, and I think that's something with David Lynch's that some of it might be tacky and silly, but you look at the time and when it was made, there is a lot of detail. There's a lot of intricacy. They did use reference from the 
Mobius art. They they did use reference at some points from H.R. Geiger. There is a, a lot of decadence to it. And when you say David Lynch, I said that like weirdly with an Arkansas accent. When you say David Lynch, four stars. Hank says, check it out. Uh, suddenly, this is the last drive-in. But you say David Lynch's name to people, and they just—I mean, this isn't like Mulholland Drive. This is nothing to cringe over. He tried his best to tell. This, this linear aspect of a story despite it being as difficult as it could and I'm just kind of hoping because his was really crammed together you get to the second part of the story and what I like about 2021's is that we end at a certain point and getting back to my original point is I'm hoping that this, this kind of underwhelming first part is that they're going to be companion pieces so you, you have the two two and a half hours of this first movie that is this this I wouldn't even say earth tone color palette. At the beginning of the movie, you definitely have earth tones, and then it just becomes very barren, very brown, very different shades of gray and You're going to have that because they are on a desert planet, but there are ways of, like, the still suits in the new version are well-designed. They look good. I don't have a problem. They look like shit in the John Harrison version. But there are certain things that you can do with other aspects of it to just not make it so dry and some of the the design work in it is just kind of joyless to me because it's just like well let's do something utilitarian and i'm like but i don't want utilitarian i want kind of nutsy in some places and some of it can be utilitarian some of it can be realistic but can we find a nice middle between lynch craziness and villeneuve kind of underwhelming well that's kind of where my thoughts going here is uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we got this underwhelming first movie and you go through this two hour two hour 30 minute ride and when we eventually get the companion piece that i can only imagine will also be two hours to three hours long that we we might and and i'm presuming this may be his idea you start with this underwhelming feature and then you move into because we haven't gotten the emperor we don't know anything about the guild navigators we've seen one of their ships but there is still a great deal of I think the the hardest stuff to imagine. We don't really know anything about the Harkonnens either. Like we just know like, the general, like they're evil, and that's basically what we know so far in the new version. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe this was his kind of setup. You know, we, you've got this first underwhelming movie, and then the second one's going to be visually the Big Bang, where you get much more decadent. Because I really like what he did with with Blade Runner, and I put that off for a long time, and I'm not even. A specifically, you know, Blade Runner's holy. I love that movie so much. I I prefer the most hated version of the movie. I like the the director's cut version of it that most people can't stand. It wasn't something that was really important to me. I just visually, you know, you make this movie almost forty years later. I don't care what you're gonna do with the sequel. It's going to be a bunch of CGI and it's yeah, gonna look like shit. Yeah, he knocked out of the park. I thought. Yeah, I was really. I was once I finally saw it. I was blown away. I was really incorrect with my presumption. I think he handled it beautifully. So we know that he's capable of doing something massive and what really worked with Ridley Scott's Blade Runner is all, all of its little tiny miniatures and matte paintings but they managed to make it overwhelming they managed to make it an anxiety attack and despite it being so dark and all the rain and all the fog you watching the movie feel cramped and he did that with the, the Blade Runner sequel it, it worked really well and you still feel the loneliness I, I felt a lot of emotion watching his version of Dune but most of my emotion came from me being a Dune fan and seeing it on screen. I think it, it truly is problematic because he's managed to, in this ver first version, I, I, I care that Duncan Idaho died, but I didn't really because you, you show a good idea of their relationship and you can understand that Paul and 
Duncan are really good friends, that they're very close, that they could consider themselves brothers, they love each other, but it's just in that sort of filmic monologue hey bro way and all you really get between them is the will you take me to Arrakis early scene where he tells Duncan that he he saw him dead but the Lynch version he's even less of a character so it's coming down to screenwriting and what we, we've talked about this with Midsummer. I guess you really got to look at what you can cut out and if you're doing this on screen if you know you're only doing the very first movie the very first book what how important is Duncan he's very very important later on in the series but not until what book four, maybe book three or four. I mean, I wouldn't like go so far as to like cut any of the characters out, particularly anything. But I just it's fade for for a two and a half. Yeah, like where was where was a fade? Where, he was not in the movie at all. They didn't even, like mention him. And is Nafood the Jack Nance character? There's a lot of people. I mean, we get the Reverend Mother, but we don't have uh, the. Like Huey is kind of glossed the fuck over too. It's just like ah. Eh. Well, I know you don't know how important it is that I broke my conditioning, but I broke my conditioning so I could betray uh, Duke Leto. Dude, how much is that? I mean, I, I'm not trying to like pick differences here, but I, I can't really recall if there's a lot of emphasis on how important he is in the David Lynch version. And I think we... Well, he's got a lot more screen time in the David Lynch version. They focus on his betrayal a lot more in the Lynch version. And, and really, I, I, this is just me being me i think it's dean stockwell i think his yeah. performance really is because he, he you watch quantum leap and you see dean stockwell being this horn dog all the time but that dude had a great deal of range and there is once you find out about the betrayal and he is explaining that he tried to do this to save his wife you believe the emotion you believe it with dean stockwell and in the 2021 version it's like all right you're still a cocksucker random doctor who's had like a scene or two and now he's the betrayer like what they don't tell you is just how important it is that they were able to get this mole, like break this because basically the doctors are conditioned that they can't be bought off or like, you know, blackmailed into doing certain things to other. Yeah, they spend 20, 30 years of their life at school. Like uh, uh, to be a doctor in the United States, you complete eight years of education. And then several years after that, you're still, you know, learning, you're living at a hospital, you're, you're doing all sorts of different stuff before you're a, a full-fledged doctor doctor. In the Duniverse, it's like 30, 40 years of this guy's life. Well, they're conditioned, conditioned to never be assassins, and that's kind of the, the whole thing is that it's it's that grandiose of this plan is they were able to break this doctor's conditioning to turn him into an assassin. It's just like, it's a big fucking deal. And the villain new version is just like, oh, the doctor sold him out. It's like, no, 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 no. The doctor should have never been able to sell them out, but the Baron was able to do things to him to break that conditioning, to get him to do that. So it's it's a really big deal, and it makes, honestly, the Baron seem a lot more of a um, more overbearing opponent than he is, because he's just kind of a floating fat guy in the Villeneuve version. And he is in all versions, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's just not like... He's not as insidious as he's been made in every other version. He's just kind of like, I guess this guy must be a smart leader. He's not. He's bullish and stupid, but he's able to get people to do what he wants them to do through fear and like torture and things like that. Well, he's the perfect pawn, and that's kind of the importance of some of the characters that are introduced in the David Lynch version, that you've got Jose Ferrer playing the Emperor Shaddam IV. You've got his daughter, who is a, a major important point of the entire story, and Paul being the Quizak Hatterack. Yeah, and she's not in the new movie at all. Not even referenced. There's a well, lot the of... Emperor isn't in it. They bring him up. That's it. Yeah, so there's got to be a, a plan to this, and 
this kind of takes us back to the Hodorowski point. You had spoken about that, that he, he was not making Dune. And he never, I don't think to this day, the man's almost 90, probably has never read Dune, probably never will. Don't think he had, <laughs> a, yeah, don't think he actually ever paid attention outside of uh, somebody telling him this is what Dune is about. And then he wrote a story and it, 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 that itself, yeah, it sounds interesting, but when you change the format, when you change what happens in the story, it can be really dangerous. So what I'm really hoping here is that I don't think the sequel to this movie is going to be taken as well as the first version because I feel the only way to show a lot of these things is it's going to have to be happening at the same time as stuff we've already seen. So you're going to have to make a whole movie of this is happening while that's happening. And that's going to be kind of like what's happening with Star Wars now. It's 40 years later, we've got all these movies of, we'll remember when they blew up the Death Star, here's what happened eight hours beforehand. I Just fucking tell me the story, man. I don't need the side details. <laughs> well, I mean, like, they don't focus enough on particularly in the characters, and a lot of that is due to time constraints, I understand. But, like, the Fremen, even in the Lynch version, are painted as these, like, mythical desert warriors and they're just kind of kind of brought up a few times in the Villeneuve version they're kind of like oh yeah they're 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 pretty uh they're pretty insane ninja type guys but that's a that's about it and it's just like the importance of this nomad clan of indigenous population of this planet of Arrakis and them trying to take it back from uh, basically colonizers and how important that is to the story and it's just we're rocketing through things a little too quickly for my taste, but I mean, again, we have to see where this goes and what he's going to try to cram into the next. We're we're very presumptuous in the fact that the next movie will be the end. What if the next movie is only half of it? He could make this last three films, and there could be eloquent reasoning to keep these characters behind. One thing I agree with, I I was I will say when I saw the film the first time I was really annoyed that we didn't get to see a navigator or anything about it. And then when I read his explanation, I, it it really did change my opinion of there is so much that we want to see because we've seen them before and we want to see what this new version is going to be like and making us wait, holding out on that anticipation. I, I just don't believe that this movie had to wait till opening weekend to get greenlit for a sequel. I think it was a package deal. I think it was acknowledged. We're going to make both movies when we can get it done and we can have times to do it. So what are we going to show first? Well, how, how, if we, sh I mean, and if this tanked, how would you get people interested in the second movie? So if you hold out and at least have some sort of, I don't know, interest, like I will definitely see Dune 2, even if I hated this now to see the fucking guild navigators. And that's, it's, it goes back to Frank Herbert. He doesn't really explain anything. He gives you a very vague idea that there is a way if you do so much spice over God knows how long that you will morph into this thing that can bend and change time. And that's about all he says about it. He doesn't visually give you a representation. Later on in the series, he, he describes one of them that starts a whole ploy to get rid of the Atreides family later on. And aside from that, it's up to your imagination. And David Lynch went really weird with it. You've got more bad CGI than anything else with the John Harrison version. So now it's either going to be underwhelming or overwhelming, or as we saw with the representatives of the guild, just people in spice masks. And I thought at first those were the navigators because they make some statement that there's three guild navigators with them, but it's like, six guys in masks. I don't know. Yeah, but again, I mean, we're beleaguering the point at this point, but it, it's just like, there's just so much 
to go over like the spacing guild. We kind of gloss over that. We kind of gloss over a lot of things and the importance of a lot of these things in what is the makeup of the universe and the politics of the universe. Like I said before, this one seems a little bit more interested in plot, 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 plot. Let's do some action scenes, plot, 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 plot. And we're not just getting into the, uh, for lack of better terminology, the banality of like politics and how it's important that these people are all like turning on each other and trying to gain power from one another and how kind of destructive that is to like, you know, like plants, like colonizers do how destructive the, the whims of a colonizer is and what it's going to do to a population of a planet. And like, they're just playing like chess with the Atreides family and how kind of fucked up that is that we're just killing people to, for our own basic power, wanting of power and amusement on certain levels. So that's the disappointment I have from the film. I'm not fully disappointed. I think it was overall worth a shit. People are going to enjoy it. The CGI is pretty phenomenal stuff like that. It's just, I just want a lot more craziness and what they're actually giving me is just, it's not at that level that I wanted at. So I just overall was slightly disappointed with the film. I, it's like a three, three and a half star movie for me out of five. Um, I didn't think it was tremendous, but it was, you know, on the peak of being an excellent film. Um, but just take that as you will. It's, it's, not the best thing. It's not the worst thing doing ever. With the underwhelming nature of some of the movie, one problem I do really have is you've got some exquisite scenes of action. The destruction of Arakeen would be, I think, much more effective if you even knew what Arakeen was. We're not even given a name for the city, and you see these mega structures that are getting destroyed by the Harkonnen, and you don't. You, you, it doesn't mean anything to you, but those are cities. There's thousands of people inside those buildings that are being destroyed, and none of it's really represented on screen. Out of out of everything, though, I think Frank Herbert himself would enjoy this. There's a type of people in the Duneverse called the Sardaukar, and they are the most elite, brutal, vicious warriors. They work directly for the Emperor. They are religious fanatics in that sense. They are they they, they believe him as a god and do any order that the Emperor gives them. David Lynch had a bunch of guys and trash cans walking around. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he like he kind of just glossed over the Sardaukar in his version, and in Villeneuve's version, there's a lot of importance. He gave them a, a personality. He used all that tube and throat singing to kind of really give uh, like a tone of their uh, their core being very like spooky. <laughs> So how are you doing? Doing well? I hope so. We've finally reached that special part of the episode where we take a brief break for commercials. 
I hope you stick around for the end of The Spice Must Flow Death by DVD Does Doom Part 2. Coming up right after this short commercial break. Hey, you! Wanna get doomed? I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole, and we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic. What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down Nostalgia Lane, and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Doomers! Merciless fanatic soldiers of the Padishah Emperors. Finally. Now. You can own their sound. The sounds of the Sardaukar. Here, the 84th Padishah Emperor, Shaddam Karino IV's personal favorite hits from the comfort of your very own home. The Sardaukar are elite warriors aligned with the royal glory of the Padishah Empire. Fanatical and bound by the spirit of blood and the God Emperor. Now you, from your very own home, can hear the sounds of Sardaukar. From sacrificial screams to the hits we all know and love, like... My god is my empire. My empire is my god. Holy Rites of Child's Blood, the sacrificing song.
graveyard ain't nothing to fuck with. Much, much more! The Sounds of Sardaukar, an 18-disc CD set with digital download, available now! With eight easy payments of 33,000 salaries, you could be relaxing to the sounds of Sardaukar. Don't dream it. Be it with the sounds of Sardaukar. Available now at www.deadbydvd.com From the makers of sounds of House Atreides, get vicious, kill for your empire, the sounds of Sardaukar. Own it today. watch that sequence I think it's it's what's going on and the representation a few scenes before that they're introduced Paul is walking around on Arrakis and he discovers somebody watering trees and he finds out that these trees take enough water that it equates to the lives of something like 20 men and Paul being himself being the savior 
he states, well, we should cut down the trees to give the people the water. And you learn that, no, 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 they're very special trees. And then soon after that, we see the Sardukar getting ready. That they have been hired for this devious job of going back to Arrakis and destroying the Atreides family. And instead of trees being watered, you've got all these people hung upside down on little mini pyramids with their throats slit and some type of priestess that is walking and blessing these soldiers with the blood of sacrifices for the god emperor, the Padasha emperor, Shaddam IV. And that little bit with the throat singing and the, the sound of the rain pouring, I think it was really effective in knowing the tenacity and the evil of our villains. It might be the only time we really experience evil because Peter DeVries is a very, very wicked person. Uh, a Mintat is trained specifically for, for certain things. They can't break certain rules, and there is a, a twisted Mintat, which is trained to be broken, that can come up with these evil calculations. And he's a very devious, awful, awful character. He's expunged way too quickly. We don't get to see the evil of the Harkonnens at all. We visually know they're bad guys, but the Sardaukar... We don't see either good or bad, all we see is fear. I think the the biggest horror aspect of this movie is that brief little scene where we see their planet and we hear them. And then when they attack, there's there's it, it's fear throughout the movie. Everyone is terrified of the Sardaukar, except of course Gurney Halling because he's a badass. <laughs> What we do get in Lynch version that is terribly missing from the Villeneuve version is so many weird hallucinations, and a lot of that is just Lynch's doing, but, like, the weird fucking blood baby in Lynch's version and the weird, like, the hand floating on the sand and around, like, all the crazy hallucinations. We just kind of throw those to the side, and Paul just has premonitions. But I, you could have made that a little bit more interesting and, like, kind of... I know Denny Villeneuve can do crazy imagery so i don't know why he hasn't kind of explored more of this in the hallucination thing but so much of what works in the lynch's version is taking those texts from the book um during his hallucinations during his um his kind of um kind of predicting of the future and stuff that <clears throat> it makes it so like the tone so much more mystical and interesting and at this point in the film the only magic we are in villainous film is all we've really seen is like the voice, the Ben and Jesuit voice. And <clears throat> they can do a couple of like mind bending things. And like, but this world is so much more grand than this. And we just kind of like, we're kicking that conceptually out in favor of more of like a Christopher Nolan vibe of like, what if Dune was really real? And this would be like this. It's just like, nah, I think I could go for a little bit more, you know, Halloween Express being thrown in there. Some like some really like interesting, um, horrifying visual information. And Villeneuve is just not giving that to me yet. Maybe he will. Maybe when Paul um, becomes fully Muad'Dib and like does the sandworm fucking ceremony and drinks the the water of life and all that, we'll get like some really pushing it over into the um, like uh, the, the more mystical areas that you know dune really does go 
that's all I can hope for with the sequel is we get to explore more because uh, as just to capitalize on what you've been saying, Denny Villeneuve we know is, is artistically capable of doing things like this. And when you go back to the miniseries, all of it shown very well for what David Lynch could do. It was okay, but the Fremen are run by Everett McGill. The the shout out Mapes characters played by Linda Hunt. It's really weird casting. I mean, well, at least there is a character in the Lynch version though, because the villain of the show, the shout out Mapes is just kind of like, hi, I know some stuff about Fremen. Here's my scene, and then my next scene is I got fucking like I. I came into the room with Paul and the Hunter Killer, but I'm just kind of a background character, and now I'm dead. It's like, but no, she's she's more important than that, and you just didn't give her the screen time. Lady Jessica learns from her, and uh, it, these are things we're bringing up that really can't be corrected in a sequel because the character doesn't live long enough for it. And it's like one of my biggest things that crushed me was there just really was no Piter DeVries, and that I I like that character. It's such a Weasley just evil character and it's funny i was talking he has about... so much to do especially brad Dourif's version of it he has a lot to do and it's it's beautiful acting i mean brad Dourif is so constantly remembered just as chucky just as the voice of chucky <laughs> but beyond horror you got to look at movies like this one flew over the cuckoo's nest he's done some really out their performances and it's a powerhouse you got to get past the costuming i was talking about how silly i think the harkonnens look in, in david lynch's 84 dune but it, it's still something i really like out of everything i so i've complained on one point i don't like how stark and mundane the atmosphere of of arrakis looks there is something bland to me about arakeen the complex the cities i like the color they they went more of a kind of Mojave Desert look with the miniseries. David Lynch's was still sort of a strange, futuristic, but yet medieval city complex. But I do really like the Harkonnens. I do like the Sardaukar. It's drastically changing. It's rewriting what the character is, and he still is a glutton, the the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. But it's just not on screen as much. And I do think they're taking some liberty with with giving the character much more intelligence and and it was important what you had brought up with that character all it's not just him it's not just raban all harkonnens are just brutish i don't want to say lower intelligence but all they they're just ruthless like creatures basically yeah all they consider all, all their only way of life is by taking life until they have everything it's like the idea of a dragon just hoarding stuff over and over and over again the only reason they hate the atreides is because they're peaceful people is because the atreides are kind of I, like I said at the beginning of the show, they're kind of the liberals and the harkonnens are really the the right wing i don't want to say extremists they're just the right wing we uh, the extremists, I guess, quote unquote, would be the the Fremen, and they're only extremists because they're fighting to get their fucking land back that was stolen from them. So they're called yeah, extremists. and it's just strange to me that Villeneuve had access to as much CGI as he wanted. He could have dreamed up any universe uh, to set this in any like any settings within reason, and he just kind of set it in a real desert. And like in, in Lynch, Lynch's version, most of the desert is sound stages. A good chunk of them are. And he like does these like weird caverns and rocks. And 
It creates kind of an interesting environment. And Villeneuve just kind of shipped them off to a real desert, and here it is. And it's just like, well, I mean, you could have you could have made it a little more fantastical than this, but I guess uh, they could. That's just... the thing; like, they could have actually shot in a much more fantastical desert. I don't know why it was such a a bland thing because Herbert's desert, his, Herbert's Arrakis, isn't just a fucking desert. It's 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 once you get to the uh, once you find out about the different types of sieges and you learn about the Fremen people, there is such a great underground complex, and I think it's supposed to show the duality. You learn about the decadence and the bourgeois nature of the people that are living in Arakeen, and then you see the opposition of them living underground and the humble, simplistic nature. But it, while I'm talking about that, there are some unique things that I think are shown on screen that, well, it's funny, they're shown, but it's also lacking. Like in the, the Lynch version, you understand the importance of water and the honor of water. When somebody dies, everybody spits. When you meet people you respect, you spit because you're sharing your water. You live on a desert planet, so the most precious thing out there next to Spice would be water. And it, it's it's kind of shown in the Denny Villeneuve movie. It's very brief, but there's a scene I thought was... if it And it's funny. If, if this had been explained, it would be beautiful. And if you know Dune, if you've read it, it's beautiful. For a random person, it's probably gross, but they have a process where um, Dr. Kynes orders coffee, and you see a bunch of Fremen sp- sitting around spitting to produce the water for the coffee... Uh, and it's communal. Everyone's drinking each other's water. Everyone's sharing this moment with each other. And that's something in the novel that would be like 14 fucking pages of information and was shown adequately and beautifully on screen, but is problematic because he didn't explain the importance of water. And it's I understand that they're kind of accepting, like, okay, you guys know this is a desert planet. They explained what a still suit is and how important it is. So they're presuming the audience will get it, and that's fine, but instead of presuming, you should make it emotional. It should have been much more hooking into you of how important the water is that Dr. Kynes has ordered the coffee to be made knowing the Duke is dead, knowing this child has no father, his emperor, his, he's gone, he's, he's a fucking runaway boy living in the desert with his mommy, and they're making this spiritual thing. The importance... and. It, See, I started, I, it's funny, as we go, there were so many things that I really like about this movie, and it's not like I don't like them, but as we're picking, we're doing this discourse, we're going back and forth, it, it's not changing the concept on it, but when you can, especially talking to somebody else, being able to talk to you and looking, okay, here's the miniseries, here's David Lynch, here's the book, it's not so much faults, it's how things are, are translated and shown to us differently, but with just a tiny bit of emphasis and care, I think this version of Dune could have been incredibly emotional. It could have been, you know, a tearjerker. It's, it's a little, like, it's a little distancing emotional. It, it feels a little, like, like it's a little more sterile. I don't get the, the emotional impact of it. And you hit on something with the water thing. It's how much they talk about how important water is before we even get to Arrakis, before it, like, how, like, there is no water in Arrakis and blah, 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 like, how like vicious the desert is. And then we get there and they kind of have a couple of lines of like, Oh, you won't survive out there. It's super hot. And but it's like, no, no, you need to be talking about the water about how important, because water is everything on Arrakis and it's in the Villeneuve version. It's just kind of like, no water is important, but you know, this whole thing is important. It's like, no, no, no water should be talked about endlessly once you hit Arrakis. That's the only thing people should be talking about for a while, at least. And it becomes a very important point in the David Lynch version and the original novel because the the Fremen have sieges filled with water, and a siege is just their underground hideout. It's it's where their township, their cities are, where they've 
started to dwell, and they've been creating underwater lakes. They're attempting to bring this prophecy forward. It's not just a white... I can't even think of the term. It's not just a white god fallacy sort of thing. It's not just this idea of he's going to come and save everything. It's their whole planet is going to be saved. It's not so much that they care about Paul Atreides. It's the idea of Moadib bringing the water back to Arrakis so the people can live in harmony. And that extends the full idea of what Frank Herbert was trying to tell with the Golden Path. And it takes you know his whole original series. And of course he died before he could finish the series. And now we have... Uh, Brian Herbert swears he uses his dad's notes, but the guy's been dead like 40 years. How many fucking pages of notes do you have left, man? They're, you're making this up. You're just writing stuff, and it's fine, but it over-exasperates the series, and you try and look at the core idea of what the Golden Path was. It's just harmony and peace to everyone. I mean, it's just really uh, socialism, I guess. Everybody gets health care and gets just to live and exist and is happy and everything's okay because you get to live. Well, I mean, basically the Fremen are going to take control of the spice and it becomes their natural. I mean, you can relate this to modern politics pretty simply of colonization, giving land back to indigenous people, letting those indigenous people, um, especially if you're in a capitalist system, like be able to get themselves on a certain level with everyone else. So it's not, you know, not overly one sided as far as power structures go and like building up indigenous communities and things like that. And the problem with Dune though, is there are always faults in that. So once you go from book to book to book, those like relationships change, the Fremen change, Paul Atreides changes. Cause like in the second book, um, Dune Messiah, things just like Paul is a pariah. Basically everybody fucking hates Paul. Things have changed drastically in, um, the universe and how spice is, um, prolificated throughout it. And it just, again, when you don't focus on these politics and you focus more on the kind of the, the white savior aspect of it and Paul Atreides will free everyone. And it's like this fairy tale, sort of ending everything it's it's not like that at all because people who haven't read the the books need to get ready for subsequent movies when when it's just like well shit that didn't make anything better well goddamn i thought things were like nothing particularly ever gets better there are moments of happiness in the universe there's moments of prosperities but everybody ends up kind of becoming what they hated most to begin with so it's just it's that's the thing about dune it's the the clusterfuck that is politics and power structures within those politics and who's going to have the power, who wants to take the power in it. It's this self prolificating cycle that they, everybody gets stuck in. And that's kind of the core essence of Dune. Although all the mystical stuff is in there and it is fun and it, it shapes the tone of everything better. It's just what it's core thing is, is just, politics fucking suck and it's a mess and it always will be a mess now the magical aspect really makes the entirety of the series once you move past the first book uh, it, it, it does i don't understand sometimes the direction of things because when paul drinks the water of life he is see, he sees everything he knows what's going to happen and that's when he makes the decision that he is not going to be the god emperor or worm man 
that he is not going to do this. And you move into the next books and you move into his children and some of them are pre some of them have pre-science and uh, the emperor or the Baron Harkonnen comes back through pre-science and there's a great deal of exasperating details to all of it but the most important thing is Paul acknowledged the moment he drank the water of life oh yeah I'm not going to be your god I'm I'm not going to do this and it's his son that ends up following through and through you know, aeons and aeons of torture and woe and pain, eventually the golden path comes forward, but there is no book for that, there is no story for that, and that's what makes it unique, is you go through the pain, you go through the suffering, with the acknowledgement, yes, one day things will be perfect, but it is through It's through pain that things reach this level of perfection, and are you willing to trade this pain for this level of perfection? It's it's kind of the, the whole concept of are you willing to kill you know, it's the Thanos bullshit of like, well, it's better for people if we do it this way. If we just kill 50 percent off, the other 50 percent is going to be much happier. But is that is the risk worth the reward, that sort of thing? And that's what Dune basically is. is yeah, just... no, that's really what it is, because Lita the seconds like, yeah, no, we'll live for like 40,000 years of me torturing people. And eventually I'll figure out how to make everybody happy by cloning and killing my best friend. And you got like four books of him doing that. And then eventually, <laughs> uh everybody's happy it, and it's really the rough idea is that yeah eventually everybody's happy you just you won't live long enough to see it <laughs> and that's kind of what's special about it and kind of like what a lot of people had major problems with in um the last jedi because i like i know a lot of people hate that movie and i don't think it's great but i think it has some interesting things in it one of which where basically yoda tells luke skywalker that yeah, the Jedi are old news. We need to get over the Jedi thing, and it's none of that shit was particularly important. I thought he and was dead. How did what Yoda? Yoda's ghost. There's oh. always Force ghosts. Oh, Hank. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, and a lot of people said no. That you're that's sucking everything out of it. But it's it's making an interesting point. Is all this mysticism and all this shit is never going to matter because this cycle is going to continue and continue and continue. And just because you think you're special doesn't make you special. You could cause more harm than good. Um, there are no messiahs, <laughs> this sort of thing. And All of this could be directly said to Brian Herbert um, as an insult and as maybe advice for the rest of your life. Because all he's done is taken the series and exasperated these things more and more and more to where there's two or three books just about the Benny Gesserit that's happening thousands and millions of years after the events of what we've seen in Dune. I'll admit some of the prequels are interesting. You've got a Butletarian Jihad prequel. You've got a, a, a whole, uh, maybe, I think it's two books, I could be wrong, about the Mentants and the, where they came from and the history of them. And and what's what's fun about it is if you... It's like fan fiction, yeah, basically. That's, that's really what it is. Like, if you want to really expose yourself deeper into these concepts, it's fine. But you have a limit you like to go to. I like the original series. And technically now, the original Dune series is eight books. Two of them are accordingly based on the exasperatingly large notes of Frank Herbert written by his son. And that concludes everything. Those are the books that really get detailed into what happens afterwards and the Benny Gesserit and... 
the Benny Telelax or Telu or whatever, the people that do the clones. That doesn't matter whatsoever when you're talking about David Lynch or... Uh... What about Ix, Hank? You haven't talked about Ix and the technology? <laughs> like, just like, oh my God. You know, we haven't, we neglected to talk about the uh, the couch dogs. We didn't talk about oh, them. Oh God. Yeah, there, there's some weird sort of chairs that are also pets. There is a, a crazy... It just and that's goes just in so Herbert. many crazy fucking places, which can be a lot of fun at times, but kind of distracts from the overall narrative of what I viewed the series to be about, which is everything is fucked. It's never going to get any better. We both have, I guess, a little bit of a difference here. You you end with book five. I go all the way up to six. I, I think you got to go up to the, the finality and, and hear what happens. And, and I think that, I think despite it, and, and it's all opinion, baby. It's all opinion. But I think when you get to that point of the giant worm man, it's so overinflated. It's so over the top. I think a lot of it is representations of world leaders like uh, De Gaulle, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time when that last book was written. I think why it's so crazy and why it's so overinflated and so detailed really is just the nature of things. I mean, it's it's wild to believe how espionage works you read these tom clancy books you watch these movies it doesn't seem real but it all is sourced in in reality and dune becomes so crossed with so many things and and by the time you get to the end of the first book i think it's exasperating and david lynch tried his best with it but you've got the emperor running things but the Benny gesserit witches are controlling that from another far corner you've got the spacing guild who is upset over all of this happening there are just so many characters there are so many unique aspects to these characters that you either i guess show them or you don't show them and what's beautiful is experiencing it all. i mean you can really catch something you like you can like mintance and now you have 55 books that you can get into you can you can do anything with the series and sure that can be said for any any series, every series, anything in the world. I mean, but... that's where like Star Wars is going. There's a thousand spinoff series and things yeah, like that. So exactly. if you really want to get involved in that kind of stuff, you can. But you can also stick with the core. You can just fucking read what... Dune, watch Dune, do whatever. Just do do doing it. You know. You don't have to like. Don't get like overly frantic about how much there is to read because they're really, you don't have to read all of it. You can read up to a point you want to read to. You don't have to ingest all of this mythology. It's not all important. And again, let me stress enough that it's not a particularly world, a world that you like want to live in. And that makes it kind of more interesting for me because like the, the fan fiction aspect of it, the, the like, the wanting to be a part of this really isn't there for me. I don't know if it's there for a lot of other people. I find the concepts incredibly interesting, but like the the living vicariously part, I just don't have for this because oh, like most of this seems like it would suck to go through. See, I, I never saw it as a world you don't want to live in or be in because it's our world. I never saw it as anything different. I, I when there's nothing reading Dune than watching or reading about politics. I think it's the exact same thing. You just have to look who your sympathies lie with. Some people love the Harkonnen, and some people love the idea of the Emperor. Other people hate the Atreides. Some people are just for the Fremen. But I, I, I don't see it as a space epic. I never really saw it as a sci-fi sort of thing. I saw it as now. It, it, it's whatever. I mean, the, the relations between the United States and the Middle East have drastically changed from the 60s to now, but have they? It's the exact same thing. We go over there, we waste everybody, we're looking at It's all the cycles, order. and the Dune is about cycles. 
That's, that's probably the best description of Dune right there. It's about cycles and political cycles of life. There you go. Everybody gives The Simpsons so much credit for predicting the future, but really, Dune did just the same. I mean, you look at Saddam Hussein and his empire and the puppet government that the United States set up inside of Iraq. It's pretty much the same thing as what's happened with uh, Duke Leto. They were set there to die. They were sent there and they knew it. That's why they trained so hard and why they tried to make Paul aware of what was happening, so he had some form of survival. Leto Atreides knew when he went to Arrakis that he was going to die. And those that went But he him, also knew he had to die. For the better. Uh, he, he knew that Gurney was going. He knew that Duncan was going, that Paul could be the future. And there's a, a, such a brief scene at the beginning of the, the 2021 film where Oscar Isaac's Duke Leto Atreides is talking with Paul Atreides, uh, Timothy Shalmat, and they're they're discussing. I don't want to do this, Dad. I, I I don't know. I just want to go to Arrakis. I could be helpful. I don't want to be the next you. And that scene needed to have a lot more emotion. There needed to be more than yeah. I didn't want to be the boss either, but it happened. Remember your granddad? He got killed bullfighting. We needed something that really gave us. The love between Leto and Paul. That's something that's really, really important. David Lynch tried to. I, I, I think it works on screen, but the, the Leto Atreides character, to me, is much more colder. He doesn't seem friendly. Well, you hired Jurgen Prock now to play him, so that probably has a lot to do with it. You got the guy from Das Boot for some reason. I, I, there needed to be much more love. So I think, if anything, when it comes to the sequel, when it comes to, to Dune Part 2, we need much more emotion. And, and possibly, I mean, what else can we get? Because there's there's a whole character that wasn't introduced. We just got to be introduced to Zendaya's Ch Chani at the end of the movie. But soon, Paul's going to have two lovers, and there's going to be kids, and it's going to get wild. And maybe the emotion will come in that aspect. I mean, maybe it was all saved for a reason, but at the same time, it could all end up just being very industrial. It could just be very messy, too. I mean, look at something like... Um, probably the best example of that is uh, the recent It movies. Like, the first one is a tremendous film, and then when you get to the second one, it was so kind of front-loaded with the interesting stuff that once you got to the second one, it was just like, oh, I dread this. And it was not great. It was not a great movie at all. They, like, added stuff to it to try to make it more interesting. It's just... And it's just a big monster fight at the end, so it's just not that great. And I just hope Dune doesn't do that to where it's like, here's book one, and then book two, we've crammed so much excess into this end of it that all the... um kind of relationships that we've set up and all of that stuff is just going to be put to the wayside and it's going to be endless goddamn fight scenes that I just, I don't care about watching war on Iraq, on Iraq, on Arrakis, because it's just, I mean, Same it's thing. dudes with knives and jumping around and doing weirding Kung Fu shit. And it's just like, all right, I think Lynch handled that fairly well because we kind of gloss over some of that and it becomes just, Toto fucking ripping guitar shredding and like Paul riding sandworms and just kind of nutso shit like that and I just hope we're not focusing on battle strategies for two fucking hours.
I don't know how much. I mean, I guess you could really go into that directive and you could move into things, but there's not a lot visually that, that you can deal with. And sorry, people, for spoilers here, but when you move into the second book, you've got Paul Experience and the Fremen, and he learns their ways, he begins learning their magic, I guess, you know, the esoteric parts of their culture and their society. He begins teaching them with his mother, the Bene Gesserit ways. There's a lot more stuff that we're skimming over here, but it's it's not really till the end that you're going to get any sort of action here, and I don't, with the direction they're taking this movie without any sort of, like, weapons, without any... Uh, bombs or guns you've you've got to focus on something more and i can't appreciate with what we got despite it being you know gray bland and sort of brown we do focus on detail we focus on emotion of the detail rather i really liked the sequence where they do the rescue where they they go down to the uh the spice harvester rescue and you've got paul atreides finally experiencing spice and he goes into this hypnotic trance and Gurney Halleck comes up behind him. Everything is so quick with David Lynch. Everything is, uh, it seems pushed to me, and I love how long the sequence runs on. I like how the shot just sort of lingers until we finally see the sandworm. I mean, that's something we didn't really talk about either. We do get to see sandworms in this movie. We see a new design. I think this fits a lot more into what Frank Herbert had described. Each each movie has a really cool look at them, and you get to experience something different. But here they seem... They never really seem like animals to me. They don't seem like animals in the Lynch movie. They don't seem... They seem mythical. And they... The, the, the sequence uh, at the end of the film where Paul and his mother, uh, Lady Jessica, are running from one of them, and they find an outcrop of rocks, and the sandworm just kind of is leering and standing over it because someone has put a thumper off in the sand. You feel like it's animal. You can kind of almost... I think Innocence was kind of captured with all the CGI. It's got this kind of uneven movement back and forth, like a dog playing, and it gives you a a different idea. Like, yes, these things produce spice, which is the most important thing in in the known universe, but they're just creatures. They They don't even... They're feeding. They're not being malicious. It's not like tremors. They're not monsters. They just live on this planet. They're just running around, and then it heard a weird noise, and is wagging its tail, and it's going to run off. And there was something natural and innocent about that. And I think with what Frank Herbert was was trying to expose us to is these fucking people, it doesn't matter who, if it was the Atreides, the Harkonnen, or anybody else, came to this planet and are pillaging and exploiting the natural resource without any care of the people. But there are things beyond people. There was animal life once. There was beauty to this planet before it was savaged by whomstever. And it's, uh, you can translate Dune a thousand times. You can read into it however many times you want to, but I think no matter how many times you do it, there's a lot of beauty in, in the whole story. And there's a little bit captured with Lynch, a little bit captured here and there. You said this already in the show. I, 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 I agree fully. Watch them all and take a little bit from it. You can really make, you can make see a how, Dune. Like, and you can also see how pe- different people translate the material in different ways and their visions of it. And my vision kind of falls in between all of their visions. It's almost like a combo of all of their stuff. And I think that makes the most interesting Dune like film. But the best thing about the new film is it's going to encourage more people to pick up the books, to involve themselves in the insanity that, is everything that goes into all this this Dune stuff that I'm honestly could... shopping for a new 
Dune set right now, hoping that because of the movie they they start putting out much bigger glossaries. I, I would love to be able to get one of those like coffee table sized Dunes because you really do need to understand a lot of the terms. The movie helps a little bit, but when you're trying to read it, ah, so much. I I remember the first time I I bought a copy of the book, I would read maybe a paragraph and text you. What the fuck is this? What? Because you, I, I got one of the little like pocket-sized paperbacks, and I say little, but the thing is thick enough. If somebody shot you and you had it in your jacket, it would probably work as a bulletproof vest. Yeah, it's a thousand pages. <laughs> you had a copy with a thesaurus, or you had a copy with an index in it, and I would text you, "What's this mean?" And you'd, you know, ten, twenty minutes later would text me back, and then I'd go back to reading because if this was, of course, long before the days of every. Uh, thing in the world having its own wiki fandom and stuff like that you kind of had to unfortunately figure it out for yourself yeah i mean the the glossary will always help and that's also what limits people is because you'll start running across a lot of weird words that you'll have to go okay gotta see what this one is okay, okay. you know what we didn't even talk about lynch doesn't bring this up or the new movie but like the orange catholics uh, there's so many weird concepts like, and they're not orange, nor they're Catholics. Discuss. I feel like Coffee Talk with Mike Myers. Welcome to Coffee Talk with your host, Linda Richmond. Welcome to Coffee Talk. I'm but, your host, Linda A lot Richmond. of its meanings and terms that were important in the 1960s that have reference to, like, an orange Catholic. That makes no sense because Protestants are usually called orange bastards or orangies, and this is a you know Irish thing. And then you've got Catholics, and you've got the orange Catholics in this, but they aren't orange, and they're not fucking Catholics, and it has nothing to do with Catholicism. You get to see it uh, in this movie a little bit. Gurney Halleck reads from an orange Catholic Bible maybe once or twice, but they don't fucking explain it. You you as a fan, it's like oh he's reading the orange Catholic Bible, <laughs> but the the things behind it. And I, th- I feel we're just like, at this point, I know I am just walking in a circle talking about the same things. But there there's just so much stuff that has a great deal of integrity and meaning that no translation has. Uh, when I'm, I'm trying to think about the miniseries, and I don't really remember a lot of detail to the whole Orange Catholic thing. And I think Children of Dune might have had a little bit more with that. Well, I mean, I know, like, it's it's got little hints of all that stuff, but it, it focuses, it's very plot-heavy but it goes to great lengths to explain what the plot is. And I think the Lynch version does some of that, but not really well. But, and I think the Villeneuve version glosses over a lot of that. So I think children of Dune is just a lot more information heavy and, and not, well, the Harrison, not just the children of Dune movie he made, but both Harrison movies are just, they're a lot more heavy with the Dune mythology than the other two movies are. So I think that's it's a good like watch them all, watch them all, read the book. And it's like what's fun about reading the book and then going and watching a different version of it is I never thought it would look like that or I never thought. But like I think Villeneuve, when he did something like Glow Glow Globes, I could never fucking say that word like that was a perfectly reasonable um, imagination, like a creation that he did for for that concept of just these floating lights and he made them look, uh, you know, like, like they were produced by Apple. And, and I think the Harrison version, they're a lot more like prehistoric looking, but so it's just, it's all different ideas visualized in different ways. And I think it's interesting to kind of see them all because my version is different than anybody else's version. So I think it's good to have all these different versions of Dune. 
There's a lot from everything that you can combine, but but one thing that I guess is problematic when you when you experience the movies is it can cause a bit of a problem with what your your visions were. Like uh, the, there's a show for American Gods, and I just refuse to watch it. Everyone involved in it, I love it. I've seen some trailers; it looks really cool. But I have an idea of what Shadow looks like in my head. I have an idea of what Mister Wednesday looks like in my head, and I don't. Unfortunately, this is I guess selfish for me. I don't want the art tainted by anyone else. And with Dune, it's that's hard. legitimate. I will, I can back that up. Hey, if you, if you don't want it to shoot on something else, don't partake in it. Yeah, and it, it's it, it gets difficult with Dune because I mean you have purists, you have perfectionists, and for me, I really like the Sardaukar. I really like the Harkonnen. But now, if I was to sit and read the book, I think I'm going to envision it that way. And they are what we see in the 2021 movie is not what the fucking Harkonnen look like. They are described greatly different. Uh, they have flaming shocks of red hair. It's it's a weird Irish Scott thing. I don't know. But this movie industrialized it a little bit, and I like the fear. And I know I, I've talked about it two or three times. I, I don't think they play really a, a, a bigger part again, so we've already got their introduction. But I love the Sardaukar. I love the visuals with that. So I, I'm really pleading and hoping that the, the second movie at least will go into maybe more of a ritualistic vision with things. I mean, it seems to me that we had a... If I was making these movies, I would want to avoid doing what David Lynch did, and what he did was very, very ornate and very beautiful, and I'm hoping that this next film will maybe be... It seems like they're trying to go for a bit of a medieval feel and look to it, so I hope we have you know a Knights of Templar sort of ritualistic, creepy... Uh, castle feel to things i'd really like to see more into the empire I, and and this is i guess there's no disappointments whatever we see is whatever we see and it could suck or it could be absolutely beautiful it's like the david lynch film i don't think there's disappointment with it if you're a fan of dune if you acknowledge that you you like the series that you're into it david lynch d- did what david lynch did it it's fine it's uh, like you you gave this about a three and a half stars maybe four I would say the same for David Lynch. I would say the same for this. Three and a half stars, maybe four. Same for the John Harrison miniseries. They're they're all about equal. Uh, all of them lack the same things because the things that they lack, how do you show? How do you take the time to do this? And John Harrison, what, he did eight, 12 hours, and still you couldn't give the justice to the Benny Gesserit. You couldn't give the justice to how how dark things are supposed to be. So when it comes to the realism of whatever is happening with the, the sequel to this movie, I, I can just hope that they really go with sort of... Oh, God, like that, that film A Field in England. It was a very exasperating movie, and, and I guess that's the word of the night, exasperating. It, it was visually insane... But it's a very wild movie. It visually is is a a, a trip on drugs. It's just in your face, and I kind of want that attitude. I don't want an over amount of action, but we're getting into really strange psychedelic territory with the second part of the story. We're going to have to learn what the weirding way is. We're going to learn more about the Bene Gesserit, the water of life, the rituals of the Fremen, and it's a lot of magic, and it's it's a weird thought here and I know we're not supposed to talk about him anymore because he's canceled but I feel somebody like Richard Stanley would 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 vastly be able to handle like the second part of Dune a lot of the mysticism a lot of the magic I think having just even him on deck to come up with ideas that's what made Hodorowski's film such a, a beautiful experience is he had fucking H.R. Geiger 
and Mobius. He had the some of the greatest artists. I mean, I, I would say I really, really love H.R. Geiger, but I would say Mobius is, I don't know, maybe, maybe one of the best artists of the last hundred years that really doesn't get the, the credit he deserves. Just a, an outstanding artist, a beautiful conceptual artist. Some of the stuff he, he created are just anxiety attacks. And because of that, everything is going to have to change. Everything's going to have to differ so it's not going to look the exact same way. I mean, how are you ever going to compete with something that good? Well, I mean, that should tell you kind of what is missing from the new Dune stuff is just Hodorowsky was the first director to try to tackle this and his ideas and what he wanted to focus on so much is what Villeneuve focused on the least so that's i mean up in the air as far as interpretations go of what you get out of dune because all the stuff that horoski found interesting villeneuve tooled down and decided to go for a much more realistic universe with a lot less mysticism um but i think both both ideas can be valid i'm just more on the mysticism side of it and want a little bit more of that not so much that it has to be like all fucking like a religious experience of a film or anything, but it just needs some of that. It needs some of that emotion thrown back into it. And a lot less about a lot less about just like visually trying to interpret things to be as realistic as possible. Like, like this is actually happening. And I, I I'm just not as interested in that aspect of it as much as it is the possible crazy directions it could go and just isn't currently going and that's my big disappointment although i still say if you're interested in dune check it out this will be your lead-in film and then just kind of you know read watch other movies watch read different comic books uh interpretations of it and just look at the different art people create over the years and just kind of create your own duneverse for yourself i think if you've never seen dune if you've never seen David Lynch's 1984 Dune, if you've never seen the 2021 Dune, if you've never read the book, I, 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 and this will put you into a weird place and it's a different environment, but I would watch Hodorowsky's Dune, the documentary, and because of that, you learn a great deal of the story. You learn a great deal of what Frank Herbert was writing. You learn about all of these different characters and the intricacies and everything we've been discussing on the show, how hard it is to represent and show things on screen while hearing a guy that actually never read the book in his entire life talk about his his production of the movie that, although very different, is honestly, I, I think, would have ended up being the greatest interpretation of Dune, but I just don't understand how it could be filmed. I don't... I, it, it couldn't. It's not... There's not a possibility it could have been really filmed because, I mean, Hororowski is a madman and it would have cost way too much money for it to ever be visually realized the way he wanted it to be, but... I mean, I think what we got, the documentary and just the story and the art that has been created off the back of that production is more interesting than what they would have made as a film in itself. Well, he jokes at the end of the documentary that it'll probably happen after he's dead, but someone will probably make Dune into an animated series, or his Dune, rather, into an animated series. And I, I really, I, I would hope it happened before he died. But we have now, with, with such advancements in animation and CGI, with how exuberant and how just over-the-top, it's beyond decadent. There's got to be a word beyond decadent, but whatever that is, is his idea for, for Dune. And I think it's very capable where we're at now, that it could be 
an exquisite animated experience, but Dune itself, not just his. I think the best. I think his version of Dune would be the trailer for the movie Phase Four. I just think the best way to do Dune in general, forever, I mean, I don't know what the future is going to be with with filmmaking or how crazy things are going to get, but I think making an animated full-length version of of Dune would be the most successful way to tell the story, not just David's, anybody's in general. I mean, directly going to the source material, Frank Herbert's Dune, you'd be able to show everything, and you'd be able to do cutaways and dissolve. So Why did they make a movie? They should have just done it as a streaming series on Netflix or something. I want to say yeah, but I want to say no at the same time because I just don't know if that would pull you in. Like I, I as a as a longtime Dune fan, I don't know if I'd want to sit down and it would be the same fear as like American Gods. I don't want to watch a Dune TV show. They're just gonna base it off Dune, blah blah blah. I think I would be much more skeptical then i mean it would have to be one of those things somebody saw it for i feel a lot of fans to get deeper into it to be told like no no it's good don't worry about it which was what the, that was the problem with the mini series it wasn't just the fact that it was on sci-fi but it was like oh it's an eight part mini series it's 2 hours each time i don't really feel like yeah but tv's those. changed people like to binge people would want to sit down yeah, and that's like valid. like i mean if i sat down and watched all was it 10 episodes of the haunting of bly manor which i thought could have been wrapped up in three hours flat and i watched the entire series i mean i i think a lot of other people would sit through dune i think more people would probably watch dune if it was a series in a long form and you could do all the books as seasons basically 10 episodes 10 hours a season you could really get deeper into the concepts of the Mintants and the Butletarian Jihad, but I you still full episode about them. Still, even without people, I think you would be much, much more successful being able to animate this because of the concepts, because of the magic, because, and you have a drug that you ingest long enough, you become some sort of being that can fold in space time. What do you, what are you going to show us visually? I mean, what David Lynch was showed us was fine, but to me it's still like a, a, a weird H.G. Lewis or Roger Corman-style 70s B-movie freak show sort of thing, and I don't know what any what you're going to do different. In the miniseries, you've got that gold, weird CGI frog monster sort of thing. That's goofy. We don't know what's going to happen in the next film. It's it's you've, We've touched upon this in our Walking in Circles. It's all the different... Uh, you take the original intellectual property and then you take the divulgement of everyone else. I guess that's the joy of this. And I, I said at the beginning of the show, you've got the fingerprint of Dune that was created by Frank Herbert. And that fingerprint has been left on everything. If there wasn't Hodorowski, there wouldn't have been an alien. And if there wasn't Dune, there wouldn't have been a Hodorowski creating that. The only reason that Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Geiger even met in the first place was working on Dune. 
uh, Mobius, to say his name again. He was involved in the creation of Alien. All of these people. All of this comes down to Dune. It, it it's The fingerprint is on, I think... It's on every piece of sci-fi for the last 50-so years, so... It's and it, it will remain that way, and I've ranted about it many times. But conceptually, and the concept art and the things that Hodorowski created, that translates forever. Those will always be around. People will always be using them. Yet alone, taking the source material from Frank Herbert. I mean, it's it's not an insult. It's not a bad thing. But Star Wars is a bastardization of Dune. One hundred percent. It comes from that place. It comes from Akira Kurosawa movies and old adventure movies, and Dune. But that's a great thing because it exposed people to it, and at least the Dune fans at the time period kind of got to, you know, see the spice flow. But it was called The Force. <laughs> Completely different thing. But is it is it also different? We, we know, the audience might not know, but we know this is a two-part episode. <laughs> this is a two-part. The real motherfucker is to be if I release the first part and then don't put the second part as ne- the next week's episode. Book two. Yeah, I'll Denny Villeneuve you guys and put it out next year in January. But that's about it. I mean, we have glazed over a lot, but it's... I know this is probably like the Chris Farley show. Like, remember that one time when they cloned Duncan Idaho and it was really cool? And then we've we've missed stuff, but we have really enjoyed we've it. We've had some salient points in the in a mass of just cocksucking and you know slapping around a movie and also praising it at the same time. And it's not like uh, there's any animosity toward Denny. There's nothing against David Lynch. These guys went out and they took their visions and and. You got to look at the production companies. Got David Lynch was working for uh, Dino De Laurentiis's daughter. He didn't get a lot of of leeway with that movie, and I'm sure Denny got a little bit more push. Hodorowski kind of got stolen from him. But again, that sounds like oh man, I wish they hadn't fucked Hodorowski over. If he hadn't been insane, things might have worked a little little differently. And I know you can't help being insane, but. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't have had your kid training for two years, six hours a day, seven days a week in karate to become Paul Atreides. Who who was paying you? Who was giving that money? You were you were abusing a studio somewhere, and they got tired of that shit. He tried to convince a studio to just hire a cook for Orson Welles so he could eat all day on set. Like there was some abuse of of funds, misappropriation <laughs> of funds. It was like it was the fucking seventies. Everybody was doing a lot of drugs. Everybody just wanted to be in the know and be a part of like the greatest piece of art ever made. And then it all fucking fell in on itself because they all really decided that money is more important than making art so let's stop spending money on this and it became the greatest piece of art that was never made that's fingerprint is stained on absolutely everything you 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 might not like Hodorowski. you might not give a shit about anything he's ever done but many things that you love are directly because of him
But that's going to be the end of this episode. You've gone to Arrakis with us. The spice has flown. And we'll leave you with the Bene Gesserit Litany against fear. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. The ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. Good night and good morning.